0: We humans have come up with many different names for the God-made flesh. Names of beauty and purpose and reverence. Names given by the prophets and disciples. Names that try to describe the indescribable miracle of Jesus. But Jesus called himself by a different name. A name that points both to an ancient prophecy and future glory. A name of humility and deep intention. Join us as we explore the deep significance of the name Jesus chose to call himself, Son of Man. Welcome once again to Element Church, Tampa. I'm Pastor Benjamin. So good to see your faces today. Those of you online, hello. Can't see your faces but we miss and love you too. Yes, this is our Son of Man series. So let's start with our memory verse. Let's start with our memory verse and we're gonna say it together. But I, I would appreciate if we could say it with gusto. Can we do that? Titus, you ready? Let's do it. Matthew twenty-five, thirty-one. When he finally arrives blazing in beauty and all his angels with him, the son of man will take his place on his glorious throne. That was pretty good. That was pretty good. I felt some gusto. Um, But that verse, I mean, it doesn't get much more epic than that, does it? So last week, Pastor Melody taught us about Jesus the human Jesus as the human that he was a real and full Person a human being so that he could fully empathize With our human condition and so that his redeeming sacrifice Could do just that could redeem it all all of our humanity but this week We need to talk about Jesus, the heretic. And yes, you have heard that correctly. Jesus, the heretic. But we should make sure we understand what that means, right? Kids, maybe you haven't heard that word before, heretic. So a heretic is somebody who contradicts accepted religious norms in other words someone who says and does things that seem to go against the religious beliefs that most people have at the time okay so that's what would get you labeled a heretic if you're saying and doing things that seem to go against what most people think is religiously correct if that makes sense So that's what a heretic is. So that's what Jesus was. He was. He was a rebel. He was a provocateur. But he was never a heretic or a rebel just to be one, right, just for the sake of doing it. He was a heretic just by being himself. He was a heretic just by speaking the truth. So to further understand this idea of heresy, let's talk about everyone's favorite heretical scientist, Galileo. There he is. You probably heard of Galileo, Galilei, uh, but that's him. He was an Italian thinker, a scientist, born in the 1500s, and now we consider him the, the father of modern science. Right. Uh, But he was labeled a heretic by the church, by the powerful, huge, enormous, wealthy, politically connected, powerful, powerful Catholic church at the time. And so the reason that he was called a heretic, some of you will recall, is that he claimed that the solar system. Kids, I know some of y'all love space. I'm looking at you. There you are. He claimed the solar system was heliocentric. What does that mean? Oh, man, you know more than me. Um, (laughs) Brenna says that heliocentric means the sun is in the center of the solar system, right? And so he was claiming that the solar system, or as she points out, At that time, the whole galaxy, but now we know it's just our solar system. That the sun is in the center, not the earth. Because the common belief was that the earth was in the center, right? I mean, naturally, (laughs) of course we are, right? Now, you and I, we know this to be true, that we have a heliocentric or sun-centered solar system. It's a fact. We know this. But in that day, the accepted belief was that the earth was in the center. So, but that's not the only reason why the church got upset is because everybody thought that the earth was in the center, right? What got the church really upset about Galileo's claim was that they felt like saying that the sun was a center of the solar system was contradictory to the Bible. That's why they got upset. Now, we don't, we're not going to go into all the reasons and the verses and passages of what, why they thought that, right? But there were passages that they interpreted to mean that the earth was in the center of the universe, much less solar system. That's why they got mad. That's what gets in the label of heretic is because what he said contradicted their interpretation of the Bible. You know, Jesus has a habit of doing the same thing, of behaving like a heretic when it comes to people putting religious laws or norms over people's hearts, and today I want to call that subversive heresy, subversive heresy. Subversive means to sort of come up underneath and uproot, up in something that you thought was stable, right? Subversive heresy is what he's doing, right? In other words, it's going against the religious grain in a way that puts Jesus's command to love over keeping the letter of the law. I know, bear with me. A good example of this is what happened in John chapter five. John chapter five, let's read it. All right, soon another feast came around, and Jesus was back in Jerusalem. Near the Sheep Gate in Jerusalem, there was a pool, in Hebrew called Bethesda, with five alcoves. Hundreds of sick people, blind, crippled, paralyzed, were in these alcoves. One man had been an invalid there for 48 years, so he couldn't walk. Uh, When Jesus saw him stretched out by the pool and knew how long he had been there, he said, do you want to get well? The sick man said, no, I've been laying here my whole life just because it's I'm in the shade. Now, verse 7, the sick man said, sir, when the water is stirred, I don't have anybody to put me in the pool. By the time I get there, somebody else is already in. Okay, pause right there. So they thought that when someone would stir this pool, that if they could get in the water quickly, that it would heal them. But this guy can't move. So he needs someone to put him in the water, but someone already has, has beaten him to it. Okay. So he never gets to get in the pool and, and be healed. Verse eight. Yes. Verse eight. Jesus said, get up, take your bedroll, start walking. The man was healed on the spot. He picked up his bedroll and walked off. That day happened to be the Sabbath. The Jews stopped the healed man and said, It's the Sabbath. You can't carry your bedroll around. It's against the rules. But he told them, The man who made me well told me to. He said, Take your bedroll and start walking. They asked, Who gave you the order to take it up and start walking? But the healed man didn't know For Jesus had slipped away into the crowd. 14. A little later, Jesus found him in the temple and said, You look wonderful. You're well. Don't return to a sinning life or something worse might happen. The man went back and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. That is why the Jews were out to get Jesus, because he did this kind of thing on the Sabbath. If you're going to do miracles, Jesus, you can do it Monday through Saturday only. Seventeen, But Jesus defended himself. My father is working straight through, even on the Sabbath. So am I. That really set them off. The Jews were not only about to expose him, they were out to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was calling God his own father, putting himself on a level with God. All kinds of heretical behaviors going on. So there're really two heresies going on here. But let's deal with the lesser one first, okay? What got the religious folks upset here is that Jesus told the man to pick up his mat and carry it and carry it with this newly healed body. Right? So do do we understand the commandment here that they're saying that this guy is breaking? It's the commandment about remembering the Sabbath and keeping it holy, right? One of the Ten Commandments. And it says six days you shall uh, labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath, Shabbat, which means to stop, to rest, right, Uh, to the Lord your God. So they're accusing Jesus of being a heretic because they thought he was telling this man to break one of the Ten Commandments by carrying his bedroll on the Sabbath, that was doing work by their definition. So that's breaking one of the Ten Commandments, a huge, a huge no-no. But do you remember what I said about Galileo a minute ago? The church was angry with him because they believed uh, that the heliocentric solar system was contradictory to the Bible. But newsflash, it wasn't. It wasn't, hear me now. A heliocentric solar system wasn't contradictory to the Bible, it was contradictory to their interpretation and understanding of the Bible at that time. Do you see the difference? That's the type of subversive heresy that Jesus was practicing when he healed the lame man on the Sabbath and told him to carry his bedroll on the Sabbath. He wasn't actually breaking one of the Ten Commandments or encouraging this guy to break one of the Ten Commandments. What was being broken here was these people's idea about how that commandment was supposed to look. Are you with me? Do you get that? He wasn't breaking a commandment. He was breaking their idea about how they thought that commandment was supposed to be carried out. See, these are the types of things that Jesus subverts all the time. He did it when he walked the earth and he's doing it still. Because, here you go, he's always willing to bring anything we're clinging to that isn't him to our attention. Including When we're clinging to our ideas and interpretations about Him, you see, there's a difference between Jesus and our ideas and constructs and things we cling to, our interpretations and ideas about Jesus. That's two different things. And ironically, our ideas and interpretations can sometimes be the greatest obstacle. To getting to the real Jesus that we face and so Jesus is okay with these ideas and interpretations getting broken even if it looks like he's breaking a commandment because that's what religion would like to accomplish right religion would like us to get the ideas and the interpretations correct so that we can know and believe that we're safe and we're righteous But Jesus is always asking a question that cuts through all of that, which is, Who do you say that I am? And he's still asking that question Who do you say that I am? You put down your ideas, you put down your interpretations. Who do you say that I am? Can you? Feel that piercing gaze of Jesus. Who do you say that I am? I don't know what color his eyes were, but I like feel like I'm looking right into him. He's still asking that question, and he can ask it in a lot of different ways. He will allow pain or depression or discomfort or disruption, to strip away the mental idols that we've constructed out of our ideas about him so that a real, experienced life with him can be revealed. A real, experienced life with him can be revealed. And that's not fun. That's not fun. I've been through a season like that. I know a lot of you have been through a season like that. It ain't fun. But that disillusionment we feel is a good thing. It's a good and holy thing. It is Jesus allowing our mental idols about him to be broken down so that we can experience life with him. You see the difference? So this is why these religious leaders in Jesus' day, they thought, He was a heretic because his words and actions challenged the way they interpreted their sacred texts his words and actions challenged the way they had always done things his words and actions challenged their power and sense of control and again i wonder if jesus's words and actions aren't still subverting the religious spirit abusive power structures of this world then what does that mean could it mean that his church sometimes isn't taking those words and actions seriously because if if the church is we will naturally begin to subvert and disrupt abusive power structures in this world not because we're some tribe of heretical do-gooders and we want to look like heretics but because we will begin to embody the words of Jesus that abusive power structures don't want to hear. And could it also mean that the church is content maybe sometimes to cling to the way our little corner of Christianity, our little Christian subculture has always interpreted and understood the Bible and the way that we've always done things? instead of experiencing a life with jesus that is dynamically lived in in step with the beat of his heart i feel like the questions from jesus's heretical sabbath day healing poses to us still today is something like this what is more important clinging to interpretations and ideas about god or joining in his work to love others like Jesus does? What is a more wise use of our time? Pointing out who we think is not living up to our interpretations of God's laws or serving those people instead? Are we more willing to embody the nature of Jesus to our neighbors? Than we are to exclude them because of how we interpret parts of paul's letters that he wrote to ancient churches when jesus puts someone else's needs above the way that the powerful religious people will judge him are we willing to do the same thing please don't hear what i'm not saying studying and reading and theology and interpretation and working out good doctrine, they're good things. It's important. They're things I appreciate. They're things I love. But do you know what I love more? Jesus. I love Jesus more. So when I have the choice to obey Jesus and violate the Sabbath and carry my bedroll away and walk in healing, or to stick to the letter of the law of how I've always done things so that somehow I can prove my righteousness. I want to listen to Jesus. I want to listen to Jesus. And when we do that, we will join him in this subversive heresy. Now, from this story of healing the man at the Bethesda pool, I said there were two heresies, right? First one was carrier mat on the Sabbath. The second one was much more serious right? The carrying your mat on the Sabbath that made them angry, but the claim that God was Jesus's father that made them want to kill him straight up. Like Galileo claiming that heliocentrism was the truth. Jesus claimed that God was his father and that he was the son of man. And that put himself at the center of the cosmos of all creation with God, the father. So when they finally did arrest Jesus for these things, especially for that one, they demanded to know if he was going to call himself the Son of God. So they arrested him and brought him to court, right? And they're demanding to know, are you calling yourself the Son of God, yes or no? He said this in Matthew 26, 64. He said, you have said so, Jesus replied. But I say to all of you, from now on, you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. They asked if he was the Son of God, and he said, you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of God. Last week, Pastor Melody taught us, that Jesus called himself this around 68 times, I think it was, right? And she taught us that son of man translates to the human one, the human one. So why is Jesus answering this way? Why is he answering these ac- accusations of heresy when he could have said, I am the son of God, glowing light beams, like right, From the, you know, uh, he could have done that that's not what he said. So let's dig into what this greatest of all the heresies means. We're going to go on a ride here. Are you with me still? Let's go to Daniel. In the book of Daniel, we read about this dream that Daniel had while he was being held captive in Babylon. Okay? So kids, really, let's switch on that imagination, that little mind's eye. Let's really see this. Okay? This dream is a truly epic dream prophetic scene where he sees four huge beasts and they're rising up out of the black ocean to wreak havoc on the earth. Uh, One beast looks like a lion and it comes up with as like a lion with eagle's wings until someone cuts the wings off. It's just a dream. We've all had these crazy dreams, right? Uh, Maybe not this crazy, but it's usually I'm trying to run and I can't. Um, but, uh, so the lion with the wings, they get cut off. The next beast comes up and it looks like a bear and it has three ribs in its mouth and it's told it can go devour whatever it wants. And another one comes up like a leopard. And then the fourth one, it just defies description because it really doesn't describe it very much. So we are to infer that this is such a horrible monster. It's bigger and worse than all the others. We do know from the dream that it has iron teeth, iron teeth, and it can devour everybody and trample the rest under its feet. This is the dream. I, may, I would call this a nightmare. I don't know about you. So then the scene in the dream, you know how your dreams just sort of turn on a dime and then you're in another place? So then the scene switches to heaven with all of its glory and light, where God is sitting on his epic throne, and he's judging and casting out the fourth beast, the biggest, worst one, um, and it's struck down and is set on fire. And the beast's carcass was thrown down. And Daniel looks up and sees who the son of man, the human one. Let's pick it up right there. Daniel chapter seven, verse 13. In my vision at night, I looked and there before me was one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. Sound familiar? He approached the ancient of days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power, All nations and peoples of every language worshiped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. And his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. See, church, this is who Jesus says that he is when he says that he's the son of man. That's who the Son of Man is. Can we start to see why he's calling himself the Son of Man here? Because no other human could do this. There's no other human one that could do this, that could subdue the beasts and and reign with God. No one but the Son of Man, the God-made flesh, the last Adam, could do this epic work and show us the new way to be human. But I said last Adam. Do you know what I mean by that, kids? Let's go back to 1 Corinthians. Pastor Melody took us there last week. Let's revisit that to understand what this last Adam thing means so we can keep understanding the Son of Man thing. 1 Corinthians 15, starting in 45. So it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being The last Adam, a life-giving spirit. The spiritual did not come first, but the natural, and after that, the spiritual. The first man was of the dust of the earth. The second man is of heaven. As was the earthly man, so are those who were of the earth. Just as is the heavenly man, so also are those who are of heaven. And just as we have borne the image of the earthly man, here's the best news, so shall we bear the image of the heavenly man. See, what the first man, Adam, could not do, what he failed to do, what we all failed to do in our humanity, to live in the harmony of shalom of God's kingdom, the way that he set up the cosmos, we failed at that through the first man, Adam, right? But the last Adam, Jesus, he could do it. He did it. He did it. And when we agree with this, when we receive the truth of this gospel, of the greatest heresy of all, that he is the son of man, then we begin to follow the new way to be human too. And the best news is this. We can live in this new humanity in the here and now. He's shown us how to live. And those who listen to and obey him wise. And in that inheritance of this new humanity, we will inherit his nature as a subversive heretic. But it's not just of the religious systems and the unjust structures of this world. It's not only that. We also inherit his subversion of the darkness itself. We too can speak the truth and the light of what the powerful and the Pharisees and the religious would call heresy because we now live in the new way to be human, the way that the Son of Man brought to us. And let's not forget how this is done. It doesn't start with the Son of Man slaying the beast of oppression and darkness and taking his throne beside the Ancient of Days. That's not the beginning of the story. How did it start? started with a baby, a human baby who needed his mother's milk, completely vulnerable. That's how it started. And that baby, that human baby grew up to establish a kingdom of God, not here, not to destroy the power structures of his day, but to destroy the darkness and the sin and death of all time to lay down his life and come back with the new life showing us that if we want to live in that abundance of life we too must die to the first adam and say yes to the life of the last adam and follow his way now galileo was quoted as saying this it is surely harmful to souls to make it a heresy to believe what is proved and Jesus has proved that he is the human one he was only a heretic insofar as people of power and religion called him one but he's still subverting our expectations our interpretations our priorities if we have the ears to hear God give us ears to hear the words and wisdom and truth of this beautiful heretic we call Jesus. He was completely human, the human one. He absolutely was a heretic, disrupting the vertical old covenant law-keeping with a life of horizontal love for others. And we'll hear more about this epic redemptive work next week when Brett teaches us about Jesus, the hero. Jesus, the hero. the Man, you guys can come on back up and let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for the stories of Jesus that we have that we can hear the wisdom and the words and the teaching of our lord Jesus thank you for the way that um uh, that you were willing to say what was true that you spoke the truth of grace and you spoke the truth from grace so that we could see a new way to be human a new way to relate to god Not a way of perfection, of trying to find ourselves safe and secure and righteous because of what we've done and what we know. But because we receive by faith the grace that that Jesus is the human one. Jesus is the beginning and the end. God, I pray if there are things that we need to allow your words to come up underneath and and uproot and subvert, that we will not cling to those things, that we won't cling to ideas or understandings or interpretations. God, teach us what that looks like to let go of those things so that we can take hold of an experienced life with you. Help us to know the difference. We want... We, we, we really don't want a safe, a safe and easy Jesus. That's, that's just not who you are. We want... To ride with you, free and open and wild, not clinging to anything but you. So, Spirit, we invite you to continue to speak and to move, to challenge us, to affirm us, whatever it is that we need to receive these truths, work them into our lives. Let them grow and bear fruit. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.